for the rest of you who are in here, if you would turn your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I hope this is not the first time you've been in the Word this week, because if it is, you're starving this morning, and that is not how the Lord would have you come into His house. So take some time each day, if you would, for the blessing that comes from it and the instruction and all that the Lord would have you to understand from His Word each day. Get in the Word and read, uh, version in, on your tablet or your phone has a number of reading plans that can take you through the Word of God in a year. We have a trifold that we publish. If you want to do what some of the church is doing, where I am on a regular basis, you can do that, work through it, put it in your Bible. Whatever works for you and whatever version that you use, that you memorize and become familiar with, do that on a daily basis. Now, over the last several weeks, we have been taking a journey through the fourth chapter of Second Corinthians and making it really marking the apostle paul's waypoints which were really key to his lasting ministry and his fulfilled life Uh, really as we go through that obviously we're asking the lord to help us apply these extraordinarily relevant compass points uh, to our own christian walk and our journey so that we can eventually look back over the distance we've traveled and the desire really is to be guided by these waypoints and see the lord's hand all the way that's the point the point of the messages as we go through them as we understand paul's heart is that we'll be able to come to that end of a faithful ministry, long-term ministry, look back and see the waypoints that the Lord has established for us and realize He was guiding us the whole way. I think as we come into His kingdom and our mind is enriched to understand, that will be part of the thrilling part about being with the Lord is that we'll understand a number of the difficulties and hardships that came along, uh, that we'll see His hand in all of that, and what a joy that will be to give Him glory. That most recently, we've been looking at navigating difficult times as Paul's waypoints really have referenced his own hardships. In fact, most of this passage here in 2 Corinthians 4 have been referencing hardship and and, uh, difficult times, and so some of those uh, at Paul's own hardships we've illustrated. And so, you can go back and catch some of these other sermons if you'd like and and see some of those. Uh, We won't go through those again before we start with our passage today in 2 Corinthians 4 15. I'd really like um, to share something with you that was posted last Sunday from Early Rain Church. I have shared a number of things with you because they are so relevant to us, and it's going on right now in China, a church that's being heavily persecuted, uh, severely persecuted by uh, the government. Uh, The post really speaks volumes of God's plan and difficulty and really his purposes in them. So I'll just read it. It's brutally honest. It's amazing um, what confessing to one another, this is the, uh, the book of James tells us to do. And so um, I just read that, I just read it with you, uh, to you, and allow it to be really our beginning illustration. Uh, this, is, this was published last Sunday, so very, very uh, recent. Today is the 38th day since I was released from the detention center. I often think about the night I put on prison clothes and entered my cell. I'll never forget that night. That day that the prison guard took me to my cell, we passed through three doors and then four more into the detention center, seven doors total. These seven doors completely isolated me from the world. That night when I was lying on my bed and staring at the ceiling, I felt like I was lying in my grave. My heart was in anguish to the point of death. I covered my face with my blanket and I wept quietly and bitterly. It was as though I was bidding my final farewell before dying. What actually made me weep What made me sad and miserable and hopeless wasn't having eaten nothing all day and night. It wasn't the extreme cold. It wasn't the grueling interrogation. It wasn't the violence of the national police toward me. It wasn't having to wear a black hood. It wasn't being fired from my job. It wasn't my studio being destroyed. It wasn't being stripped naked before others and losing my dignity. It wasn't being handcuffed. What truly made me weep in anguish and despair was the world. At that moment, I realized that I was actually in love with the world. Before entering the detention center, I always thought that the world was crucified to me and I to the world. But in reality, in the deep recesses of my heart, I had not lost all hope in the world or in myself. I often pretended as though I'd placed no hope in the world, but if this was truly the case, I would not have been so much in so much anguish that day. Marriage, the intimate love that's part of marriage, family, children, the joys of family life, the chance to right the wrongs of our country. I felt I had not been given enough time to enjoy and experience so many wonderful things in the world. I thought 
I would be in prison for eight or ten or more years, and after getting out, what could I do then? At that point, my life was over, and, and when I thought of these things, my heart was in total anguish and despair. After being baptized, when I was still living in the outside world, I thought that it was no longer I who lived, but the Lord Jesus Christ who lived in me. But at that moment, I truly realized that it was still I who lived and that I was still living for my own desires. I did not really believe that the gospel was everything to me. Therefore, I was not often joyful. I often experienced worry and grief in the innermost parts of my heart. I didn't believe that eternal life was very important to me. I was like a worldly man living for the hopes and benefits of this life. After despairing of this world, I realized that all of this was true of me. Then I turned my eyes to God, to the gospel, to the cross, to the hope of eternal life. Before going to sleep, I prayed, O loving and merciful Father, I thank you. You've given such great glory to your child. Your child does not deserve it, even though the heart of your child is great in anguish right now and cannot sense this glory, your child believes that you give what is best to your children. Lord, give your child strength. Make me rely on you alone, both in prosperity and in adversity, and may you be the only salvation of my life. Lord, have mercy. Sunday, Sunday February 17th, 2019, your child, Lu Ying Su. That's brutally honest, isn't it? What's the main problem? The pressing pressure revealed parts of his character he didn't like, right? He'd said one thing, but found he believed something else. And that's really the same problem each one of us have to a greater or lesser extent, isn't it? I mean, it is 2 Corinthians 4.13, where we finished up last time. Having the same spirit of faith, Paul says, according to what's written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. So he draws us into that statement. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. This is where we finished last time and it is illustrated, uh, really of our, it illustrated our last two waypoints, keys to lasting ministry and fulfilled life. And perhaps waypoint number 15 that we looked at really is the key to assimilating everything else we've looked at over the last several weeks. And the key to navigating the difficulties is that you're convinced with unwavering assurance that what God has said is true. And that's where uh, Lu Ying-Su struggled, isn't it? Uh, he, he knew what God said, but he wasn't convinced that what God had said was true. And there can be a disconnect between what we say and what we believe, and that conviction, whatever it is, is going to impact how you live, see? And so his first numerous hours, perhaps days, in prison were very difficult for him as he wrestled with what God had said and then what he actually had believed and then that transformation was able to begin to take place. As you saw that kind of metamorphosis into, it began to bloom into that flower the Lord wanted to see bloom, but it took a while for him to reconcile all of that and realize that he hadn't, it wasn't Christ who lived and he hadn't been crucified to the world, but that the world was still very much alive in him. I think that introspection is important for us as we think through all these things that Paul is saying. Because the conviction, whatever it is, is going to impact how you live. It's going to impact the decisions you make. It's going to impact the attitude you have. It's going to impact your planning. It's going, to, it's going to be your motivation for sticking it out. It'll be the source of your current comfort and your hope for the future. And, and Paul says, it doesn't matter if I suffer. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's purpose is at work. And he was convinced that that was the case. And we can see through the course of his life that that is indeed how, he, how it all washed out for him. Paul says, it doesn't matter if I die, I'm coming back from the grave because Jesus did. And so he was uh, really fearless as he did his ministry because even though he had some, you know, he said, I didn't think I was going to escape from this spot without my death, but God can raise the dead. So if he wanted me to continue ministry, he would just raise me up. And so the wording really took us back to Psalm 116. And, and that gave us a glimpse of some verses Paul meditated on, really encouraging himself from the word. And that was something special straight from Paul's heart to ours. He, he told us where I pulled my strength in the middle of difficult times. Here's where I learned um, some of the things I believe and I trusted the Lord. And we won't go back there today because we have a lot to look at this morning. So I encourage you, if you missed last week, please catch up because that Psalm 116 where Paul encouraged himself from the word becomes, I think, a catalyst for us to 
uh, find in when difficult times, we go back to the Word of God. What does the Lord say about uh, these difficult times? And then be convinced that what he has said is true and then act on those things. Uh, I'm reminded of a mostly unknown story, Bill Borden, and perhaps you know this, but um, again, this is, as you look at it from a worldly perspective, this makes no sense, but from the heavenly perspective, it makes perfect sense. December 17, 1912, Bill Borden uh, boarded a ship for China via Egypt. Now, you probably recognize that last name. Uh, His missionary career would be among history's briefest and most effective. Borden was born into an upper-class family in Chicago's He was heir to a fortune in real estate and milk production. Borden Milk probably is familiar to you. His mother became a Christian. Uh, Young Bill began attending Chicago's Moody Church with her soon becoming a believer himself. Shortly after uh, his his, uh, conversion, when Pastor R.A. Torrey, a pastor at that time, challenged worshipers to dedicate their lives to God's service, William quietly rose. He's a little guy in a blue sailor suit. And he stood a long, long time while the service went on, but there was no wavering, and it was really a consecration from which he never retreated. Later at Yale University, Bill became well-known as a star athlete, good-looking, worth about $50 million, and committed to Christ. At a student missions conference in Nashville, he was deeply moved by Samuel Zwimmer to reach Muslims, and following graduation, he announced he was giving his entire inheritance to the cause of world missions. He joined China Inland Mission, planning to evangelize Muslims in China, but first came language study in Egypt. On the eve of his departure, his widowed mother wondered if Bill had done the right thing, giving up fortune and homeland. What was she doing? Struggling with what God had said was really true and then was going to act on it. She says, quote, in the quiet of my room that night, worn and weary and sad, I fell asleep asking myself again and again, is it after all worthwhile? She goes on to say, in the morning as I awoke, a still small voice was speaking in my heart, answering God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son. A month after arriving in Egypt, Borden contracted spinal meningitis and was dead in two weeks. The course of his illness, though, he had written a message on a piece of paper, and it was found under his pillow. It said, quote, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. The story of his sacrifice was retold in newspapers across America, and the publication of his biography resulted in a dramatic leap in numbers of young people offering themselves as living sacrifices for the Lord of the Harvest. He didn't even make it to the mission field. And yet, in the middle of intense sickness that led to his death, he held fast to the conviction that everything the Lord does is right, and his plan is the right one, and what he saw written, he believed, and he spoke, and he understood, as Lu Ying-Su learned through his hardship, the truth of the verse, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus Christ may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So your death can be a vehicle that Jesus can use as a witness for the gospel. And then verse 12, so death works in us, but life in you. And regardless of whether your life comes to an end sooner, like Bill Borden's did before he even reached the field, or uh, later, lasting ministry is a ministry of giving up your life. Or as Ling Ying Su expressed it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And he learned the meaning of that verse and uh, the deceptive nature of even his own heart in the middle of the pressing pressure he found himself in. Easy to declare, right? Perhaps uh, hard to validate until some of the pleasures of the world are taken away, right? Galatians 6.14 is easy to say as uh, Ingsu expressed it, but hard to validate. And a fulfilled life is a life you give up for the cross, and that's the life that will bear the fruit of the gospel. And as we saw with Bill Borden, people will reap the fruit of your difficulties for Christ's sake, and they'll reap the fruit of your hardship for the gospel, and so will you, and they'll reap the fruit even in your death, both in money and in testimony. He extended that that, uh, ministry that the Lord had given him, however short it was, uh, well into the future. Now, that takes us right into our passage for today from 2 Corinthians 4.15. I'd like you to look there if you would. So look in your copy of God's Word, picking up in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4. 
It starts, for all things. Here we go. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction, verse 17, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. John Fox, the sufferings of many obscure evangelicals over uh, the course of years, particularly those who died in the reign of uh, England's Queen Mary I. Uh, John Philpot is one of those whom he has documented. He was burned for his testimony on December 18, 1555. I think it's important to hear this, as I've used a lot more illustrations than usual, because I want you to see that um, as Paul has made this declaration, uh, many have embraced it, not just a few, and have embraced it in the, in the, in the face of very difficult times that even lead to his death. And um, John Philpott is one of those. The Bishop Alexander, seeing John's unmovable steadfastness in the truth, did pronounce sentence of condemnation against him. Philpott answered, I thank God that I am a heretic out of your cursed church. I'm no heretic before God, but God bless you and give you grace to repent of your wicked doings and let all men beware of your bloody church. So the officers were commanded by Alexander to deliver him to Newgate Prison. Well, said Philpot, I must be content, for it is God's appointment. I pray you show me what you would have me do. The bishop answered and said, If you would recant, I'll show you any pleasure I can. Nay, said Philpot, I shall never recant whilst I have life. That which I have spoken is certain truth. In witness thereof, I will seal it with my blood. Then the bishop Alexander said, This is the saying of the whole pack of you heretics. Wouldn't you, love to, wouldn't you love to be in that group? You're going to see that group in heaven, the whole pack of those heretics. Perhaps you'll be in that throng. You know where the Lord's going to take you. That was a, just a, a marvelous um, decoration of, of really declaring Christ, wasn't it? I mean, so say the whole pack of you heretics. Whereupon he commanded Philpot to be set upon the block and as many irons as he could bear laid on him. Upon Tuesday at supper, being the 17th of December, 1555, there came a messenger from the sheriff and bade Philpot make ready for the next day he should suffer. Philpot answered, quote, I am ready. God grant me strength and a joyful resurrection. And he went to his chamber and poured out his spirit unto the Lord God, giving him most hearty thanks that he of his mercy had made him worthy to suffer for his truth. In the morning, the sheriffs came about eight of the clock, and he most joyfully came down unto them. When he was come to the place of suffering, he said, quote, Shall I disdain to suffer at this stake, seeing my Redeemer did not refuse to suffer a most vile death upon the cross for me? End quote. Then in the midst of the fiery flames, he yielded his soul to the hands of Almighty God. He believed, therefore he what? He spoke. He had convictions and he stood upon them unwaveringly and we can know for sure that momentary light affliction produced for him an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, right? Can we know that for sure? We know that for sure. Can you say that in your heart? I know that for sure. See, that's some of the, some of the purpose of these messages. Can you know that for sure and state that categorically? And we know that his... Philpot's unwavering testimony was for us, right? I mean, he said the words and then was burned at the stake. But who were they really for? They were for the hearers who stood around and watched this happen, right? And you know, his, uh, his death, he was delivered over to Jesus, but also was to the benefit of whom? For us, right? I mean, he got to be in the presence of the master. Who was encouraged? Those who watched. The unwavering testimony. And that leads us right into verse 15. That's, that's precisely why Paul says this. And I think we can see this so easily. As we look at verse 15, look there. Paul says this. As he, as he kind of starts to, be, as he begins to kind of sum up his own heart here as it deals with uh, dealing with difficulty and lasting ministry and, and a fulfilled life. He says, as he thinks about himself, 
for all things are for your sakes. All things are for your sakes. So what are all things? Well, certainly everything we've covered in the passage so far. Uh, Paul, a bondservant, admitting to being a common, fragile vessel. That was for their sake, being pressed and unsure and mistreated and humbled. You know, the world picking up with him where it left off with Jesus. You know, um, delivered over to the reality of physical death, pouring out his life uh, as the ministry of the gospel. You know, firmly committed to the truth of the scriptures, unwaveringly declaring them, firmly motivated by the promise of the resurrection. See, all things, he says, are for your sake. Paul was doing them, but who was the benefit? Uh, those who are around Paul, those who are in the church, the church on down through history. Paul was comforted by the thought, and this is our next waypoint, as it deals with for all things are for your sake, that everything he went through, everything he went through, God would use for the benefit of others. See? And that's key to lasting ministry, to keep that in your mind. That the things you go through, things you state unwaveringly and you suffer hardship for, the testimony that you have that is firm, regardless of how uh, life may throw different things at you, see, that's key to lasting ministry. And that goes along with verses 8 through 12. But in these next two verses, he just really sums up all the individual things. Perhaps, perhaps Paul is saying it uh, like this because he wants to make clear, maybe I didn't cover everything. Maybe, maybe everything I've covered here isn't everything you've been through or I've been through. I haven't, maybe I haven't said all of the things that, I've, that has happened to me. And we're certainly going to see more as we work our way through 2 Corinthians, more things that Paul went through and will be enlightened by the difficulty that he had in life. But maybe he's saying it, maybe I didn't cover everything, maybe everything I've covered uh, here isn't everything that you've been through. But whatever is in the past, see, just is really just uh, takes in this whole scope. Whatever's in the past or in the future, it's all for the benefit of others. And that's very humbling, isn't it? To think Paul says, it's all for your sake. Whatever it is that I go through, it's for you, see? And, and this is not an isolated revelation by Paul to his readers. The Holy Spirit has carried him along numerous times to say words and others like them because he knew this applied to the whole of life in every single situation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 36, we just hit a few of these. Paul says it this way. He says, for as it's written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. He says in his letter to the church to Rome, our life consists of day by day facing physical death. That's our life. We, we wake up each day and this is part of what we go through and we are as inconsequential as domestic livestock to those who would take us our lives, those who persecute us. It doesn't even matter to them. It'd be just the same as going to take a lamb and get it ready for dinner. That's how much we mean to them. We go through that on a day-to-day -day basis. We're being put to death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered and all that difficulty was used to strengthen you in your daily difficulty so that you would know that every follower of Christ, no matter what the circumstances, doesn't just conquer the situation. They over what? Overwhelmingly conquer. What's that mean? It's a rout. It's a beatdown. It's a thrashing single believer as they go through the difficult things as they as they look at this death face to face every, paul says you can see that i did this i went through this this is for your benefit that you can see that every single believer overwhelmingly conquers what i go through paul says it's all for your sake and in the letter to the church of philippi in and uh, philippians 1 23 he says this but i'm hard pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with christ for that is very much better yet catch it to remain on in the flesh is more necessary what's the words for your sake see so what's that mean well sticking around on earth where everyone wants to fill up the sufferings of christ in my flesh paul says is not what i desire i want to be with christ but sticking around here is better for you and I'll go through it for you, for your sake. Let's see. To the Colossians, and Colossians 1.24 makes a familiar statement. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do, share, uh, I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? For your sake. I'll rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Beloved, you know when you go through difficult times and you can rejoice in your sufferings. And again, as we saw uh, with Ling Su, you know, it may take some pressing pressure for you to sort all of that out. But when you go through suffering and you rejoice because the Lord has filled up that joy in your heart, you know that it's temporary and you know that he's refining you and whatever it is that 
uh, is going on with you. It, the Lord has his purposes in it and is doing some certain thing, whether it's proving a heavenly point like he did with Job and like he did with Lazarus, or whether it's uh, just it's uh, part of the flesh and, and it's, it's clay and, and it's uh, susceptible to disease and hardship. Whatever the difficulty is, whatever the hardship is, you know, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake because they'll encourage you. And that becomes, again, a way for others to be benefited by the hardship. And it's just this great, very humbling thing. It's this refocus of all of this. And the Lord has, is not slack in his promises, and he certainly has promised glory that you will have and carry with you into the kingdom that you wouldn't have if you hadn't gone through the difficult times. But all that aside, Paul says it's all for your sake, ultimately. It's for your encouragement. Philpot and all of his words and how strong he was and Borden and all that he did. And even though it was such a short time, I mean, it was for our sake, isn't it? Were you encouraged when you read about Bill Borden? Did you know that story? It's kind of a minuscule, it's on the side. Nobody thinks about it. Why? Because he didn't have a long career. It wasn't a Donnerham Judson and, you know, he transferred the entire Bible in the Burmese language and all that. We didn't think about it, although he didn't know all of that when he died on a ship that all that had happened, 100 churches you know, but it wasn't that. It wasn't even, you didn't even get to the mission field, and yet it made a huge impact. It still makes an impact on me when I read the story. Would you have written that? No retreat, no reserve, no regret? And stuffed it under your pillow in the midst of uh, meningitis, spinal meningitis? Raging fever, you know, you, you can barely manage. You're in Egypt in, in the early 1900s. This is just marvelous stuff, see, and it's so relevant to us that people have embraced what, what I, what I, 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 what was spoke, I believe, and therefore I speak. See, Thessalonians, uh, Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica. He says, um, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you, what? For your sake. Again. Um, in other words, for your sake we lived a life among you that didn't betray the faith. As you walk in this world and you live a life that doesn't betray the faith and you're a man of integrity or a woman of integrity and you reflect well on Christ as you do your business, as you, as you work for someone, as you adorn the gospel and working hard and all that kind of stuff, you realize that people watch that, see? It's been my, my prayer all through, all through uh, the raising of my sons that they would be impacted by men like that. That um, wouldn't just be dad who was saying, you know, live this way and dad trying to model that, but it would be other men, men not in full-time ministry, men who, who were in the business world and men who were in the military and men who were uh, all over the place. They would be men who modeled and would live a life among them that didn't betray the faith and, and, and you know, could say, we, li- you know, we lived what we said and we did it in power and the Holy Spirit was at work and we were fully convinced of God's plan and it, we proved it by what we said and how we lived. And those are the kinds of things that are for the sake of those who watch, see? Paul did it to honor the Lord. He did it because he was following the Lord's direction, but it benefited others. They watched and saw. This is how you conduct yourself, see. 1 Corinthians 3.21 really sums up everything we've been looking at, and we're just going to stop here just briefly because this is just takes this huge scope of, uh, of life, and so I want, to see, I want you to see this. Paul says it here this way. Instead of saying, um, for your sake, he just says this. He takes in even a broader scope. He says, all things are, all things what? Belong to you. Not just, not just all things are for your sake. All things belong to you. Isn't that wonderful? Not, not only are all things for your sake, an even more comprehensive statement, all things belong to you. So Paul names off a few of those all things, starting verse 22. He says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. In other words, he starts with himself, he starts with Apollos, he goes to Peter, and he just means, along with everything else God's done for your sake, all teachers are yours, they're for your benefit. Isn't that marvelous? All teachers are yours. Whether it's Paul, with his amazing preaching of the gospel and his theological knowledge and enthusiasm for God, or, or it's Apollos, he says, you know, and his uh, great knowledge of the Old Testament, his eloquence in speaking, whether it's Peter, with his experience with Jesus, and, and the hard lessons he had to learn, and his experience with Pentecost and the first big church. Paul says to the church over and over, what I go through is for you, and all the benefits of the church, they're yours. They're all yours. See? And what Paul applies here is how ridiculous would it be for you to be poor when you're rich, you know, because you know the history of this church. You know, they're, um, they're arguing about teachers and preferences. Paul asks, you know, why would you want to isolate one teacher when they're all theirs? Teachers were all given for the benefit of the church, each difference, each nuance, each preference, all for their benefit, still the same now. 
We have multiple teachers here and they are all for your benefit. And we vary in our backgrounds, we vary in our presentation, but it's all, it's all richness for the church. See? All for the benefit, all for you. So he says, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, all the teachers they had, or the world, it's all yours. The world is yours. Now he doesn't mean the evil system. He doesn't mean the system of man which will be judged and pass away that we studied in our book, uh, where we studied through the book of Revelation. Not talking about the, the men's system. What he means is God's created material universe. The whole universe is yours. Did you know that? So next time you walk outside, just look around and see what belongs to you. It's all yours. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. And that certainly is future, but Paul's talking about right now, 1 Corinthians 3.22, the world, everything God has made is yours. If you're a believer, if you're a saint, it's yours. It's for your sake, and you can appreciate it as a gift from God, and unregenerate man cannot, obviously. They have all kinds of ideas about the world, but they are not correct. God made the world for his people, and someday, maybe in the not-too-distant future, The true owner of this world, the one who spoke it into being, according to Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Maybe someday in the not-too-distant future, he is going to return and take back what belongs to him, and you are joint heirs with him, so it all what? Belongs to you. And so Paul says, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life. It all belongs to you. What kind of life is he talking about? Well, certainly physical life, spiritual life, eternal life. You know, John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That certainly takes in all three, physical, spiritual, eternal. Jesus came, and everything he did was, it's the same language, okay? Catch it. Everything was for your sake. He went to the cross, he accomplished the victory there, and who was it for? It was for you. It was for me, right? Everything he did, same language was implied, for your sake. Ponder that for a moment. That's so humbling. Uh, it's for your sake. It's all for you. It's all yours, see? It's humbling like thinking that all of Paul's sufferings are for my sake. You know, First John five twenty. we know that the Son of God has come has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He came for your sake so that you could have understanding and you could know him who's true and be reconciled to God, his son Jesus. Same exact language, it's for your sake, see. Jesus is the example of all things are for you. Paul knows his life is just following the example of his master. All things are for you. That's how Jesus came. That's why he lived his life. That's how he did his life. And Paul says this is how it is. He owns it all. According to Paul, it all belongs to you. It's for your sake over and over. It's the theme of Scripture. It's pretty humbling, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. God in you through uh, the spirit of his son, Jesus Jesus gave you his joy, his peace, his love. You can read it all through the Gospel of John. If you're a saint and you've been redeemed, you have eternal life, and you have life now, beloved, that you'll possess forever. Is that right? You have life now that you will possess forever. Is that right? Yes, that's right. It's all, it was for your sake, and it's all yours, and the Lord has done this on your behalf. Isn't that the point of John 11, right? I mean, John 11 says, uh, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's, that's, that was the point of raising Lazarus, wasn't it? That was to prove that it was resurrection in a person, not in a day in the future. Life is yours. You see people around you that are dead. You walk around in business, and, and you walk around on a daily basis around people who are dead, but you're alive, and the world's yours, life is yours, and so is death, and that's part of the scope of all things. Paul says, for all things belong to you. All things are for your sake. See, whether Paul, Apollo, Cephas, the world, or life, and catch this, death. Did you know death belongs to you? People say, who wants it, right? I mean, I don't want it, right? I mean, that's the first reaction. I don't want death. But that's because we're looking at death as a master rather than a slave. Sometimes we say, well, you know, we just heard so-and-so is going to die, right? Janine, I know... Uh, learned of her cousin's impending death. And she's since gone to be with the Lord. But catch this, beloved. The only difference, the only difference there when we know that there's so many weeks left, mark this, the only difference between that 
and from 100% of everyone else is that with that one, we know the approximate time it's going to occur. Right? And that's really the only difference between 100% of everybody else is just for that person, we know approximately the time that they're going to be, if they're a believer, joined to Christ permanently. I mean, everybody else is going to die too. But we're looking at it kind of from a backwards perspective. If they're a believer, death ushers them into the presence of Jesus. And we want to be sad, and there's going to be some temporary separation, which can cause some longing. We've all had that, and we have it still. But we can really have a messed up view of death. But as a saint, death has no power over you, and it's best to learn that and believe that now. And beloved, catch this. Teach it to your children. Okay? Death belongs to you. It isn't a master. It's a slave. Okay? And it delivers you to Jesus and it delivers you from the struggle of sin in the flesh and the earthly things that sometimes invite us, invite to invade into our relationship with God. It delivers from all of that, see? We saw Paul say in our current passage, you know, I carry about in my body the death of Jesus, but I'm not discouraged because it's all for your sake, right? I carry in my body the death of Jesus. I have a death sentence on me on a regular basis, Paul says, but I'm not, I don't care because why? Jesus is going to raise me from the dead. Death belongs to you. It's a slave, not a master. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Catch this. Maybe you never looked at it this way. But the writer says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. You know what I like about that verse? There's a whole bunch of dates already marked on calendars. Right? When Christ came, it was in the fullness of time, right? The Lord had decided it is now time, and he came to earth, and that was the beginning of the end of times, wasn't it? And so he was marked off. He was going to live this life, and then he was going to be put to death on a cross, give him up, himself up sacrificially in your place as a satisfaction for your sin, and then be raised, right? It was already marked. And there is a time already stamped that the Lord knows where he's going to come a second time for salvation without reference to sin to all those who eagerly await him. But here's the one I like. It's inasmuch as it's appointed for men to die once. Catch it. Death is not a master, it's a slave. It doesn't even get to pick the time. Death doesn't get to pick the time for you. The Lord has appointed your days. We see that over and over again, okay? So is that, that should be encouraging. I realize that that's kind of a, it can be a morbid thought in some respects if we, if we look at it backwards. But in Jesus' story, the wealthy merchant who laid all of his treasure up in earth and nothing in heaven, remember? I, I'm very well off. I'm going to tear my barns down and build bigger barns. And the Lord didn't condemn him for being a successful businessman, all right? He didn't say, you know, you should have given more to the poor or whatever. He didn't say any of that. What did he say? You're rich in earthly things but poor in heavenly things, and tomorrow is your appointed time, see? The time for his death had come. Isaiah 25, 25, verse 8, He'll swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he'll remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Don't you love that? That's going to happen. Why? Because the Lord said it was going to happen. And that settles it, doesn't it? Whether you believe it or not, whether you, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in all of this stuff, it doesn't really matter at all. The Lord already said it, and that's how it is, okay? And it, and it will be said in that day, again, the Lord's declared this is what's going to be said, so we undoubtedly will hear this. Behold, this is our God for whom we've waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. That's going to be said. And that day that's going to come where he's going to swallow up death for all time, and the Lord got to wipe away all, all uh, tears away from all faces. Someday, the mark of sin, which is physical death, right, because you weren't created to die, but you do because we're sin in Adam, Right? So physical death is just a reminder that sin is in the world. Someday that's all going to come to an end. Your physical death, my physical death will come at the appointed time. It doesn't get to pick the time. But someday all of that death, which is a, is a slave now, is not even going to exist anymore. And we're going to say, this is the God for whom we've waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad of salvation. Death is yours. And all I can do is usher you into the presence of Jesus. And I would say, is that anything to be afraid of? See? It's all for you. And Paul actively lived that way, didn't he? And the guy we talked about uh, not too long ago who had set up a uh, church of 50 and was taken captive and killed. Do you remember just a couple weeks ago we talked about that? Emmanuel, um, ministering to Hindus and, and Muslims at the same time, both hostile to Christianity. And he was taken as a, uh, as a prisoner and killed along with a number of his, his church. And... Um, we, we remarked, you know, on a daily basis, he went out with a death sentence on him. 
was he afraid? Probably afraid of pain. Right? Most of us fear pain, perhaps, that's connected to it. But ultimately, was he afraid? Apparently not. Not enough to stop him. It wasn't enough to buy out what he knew was true and what he understood was true. He spoke. It didn't buy him out of that, did it? And so he just stayed right there. 1 Corinthians 15 says, where is the sting of death? Where is the victory of the grave? And we looked at all that a long time ago. There is no sting. There is no victory. The sting is gone. Death belongs to you. So back to 1 Corinthians uh, 3.22, all things really means all things. Paul says, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present. And that would be all the situations that take us right into our present uh, passages, all the people the substance of your present life. We've seen this over and over in our current study. All the circumstances and experiences of your life are for your blessing. They're all for you. They're all for your sake. Same types of language, same understanding. Even the bad ones? Yes, and we know the answer to that. Yes, even the bad ones. Perhaps especially the bad ones. In the interpretation of 1 Corinthians by R.C.H. Linsky, this idea is captured well. Here's, Here's how he expresses it. I love this. He says about all things present are for you he says quote it is as if this multitude of servants surrounded us on bended knees held out their precious offerings to us mark this some of these servants like pain and injury and sickness and grief and death may at first have a strange look to us who do not know our own royal sufficiency isn't that marvelous Man, he, that is, that's amazing. He captured that like that. They look strange to us. Servants like pain and injury and sickness and grief and death. They have a strange look if we don't know our own royal sufficiency. It is God, he says, who commissions them all and makes each one bring us some blessing, end quote. The things we would consider bad are all part of the things that God works together for good. They're part of the all things are for your sake, see. And it makes Jesus clearly seen as we've examined already and God uses all of that in conforming us to the image of Christ and we've seen that. So all along the way our journey is supplied for so it shouldn't surprise us that the end is provided for as well. Paul says, um, and things to come. Things present or things to come. That's whatever is prepared for tomorrow or beloved, 100,000 tomorrows from now on. See, all things are for you. All things are for your sake. They all belong to you. Paul knows that it's all yours And whatever comes along in this life, whatever has already happened, all things belong to you. And the reason why all things belong to you, whether Paul, Apollo, Cephas, or the world, or life, death, or things present, or things to come, is because you belong to Christ, see? Because apart from him, we are bankrupt and have nothing. And as John was instructed to tell the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3.17, they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's where we are without Christ. All things are for you. All things belong to you. Matthew Henry gets it right when he says, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ. We're Christ, he says, the subject of his kingdom, his property, he's Lord over us. We must own his dominion and cheerfully submit to his command and yield ourselves to his pleasure if we would have all things minister to our advantage and to the advantage of those around us. We have to realize that we belong to Christ. Have you firmly come to that conviction? Have you taught that to your kids? You belong to Christ. You belong to him. If you're, if, you're hit, if you're born again, you're a child of God, adopted into the family, and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. He is Christ of God, appointed of God, commissioned by him to bear the office of mediator and act therein, Henry says, for the purposes of his glory. Note, all things are the believers, that Christ might have honor It's great undertaking, and God in all might have all the glory. God in Christ reconciling a sinful world to himself and shedding abroad the riches of his grace on a reconciled world in the sum and substance of the gospel. Henry says this captures that so marvelously. And that leads us right back to the last part of 2 Corinthians 4.15 where we kind of sum all this up. We illustrated all of that. I think it makes it clear as Paul begins to take in a very broad uh, subject and kind of gather it to himself. And Paul says, listen, all things are for your sake. Why? So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You've heard of all that I've gone through, says Paul. You have seen some of it. You've been responsible for some of it. And we talked about that. This church here has been responsible for a lot of Paul's difficulty and his hardship and his sorrow. 
You know what I've said. You know what I continue to say. You know the ministry I had among you. It's all for your sake. It all belongs to you. And when you assimilate this truth, like Paul, and believe that everything he went through, everything that you go through, God will use for the benefit of others, that understanding will be key to your lasting ministry. And the outcome of your ministry, catch this, will be the last part of verse 15. I love this part. So that the grace, catch it, which is spreading to more and more people, may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Here it is. As you kind of gather up all these thoughts that Paul's put together, and this is all for you. Everything that's happened is all for you. It all belongs to you, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 3. But this is for you. Paul just sums up everything. Suffering can make Jesus apparent in your death, can make Jesus clear. But whatever it is, whatever it is, okay, all things, whatever happens, when you look at him this way, and you do what you have to do, and you go through what you have to go through, and you do it the way God has intended for you to do it, it will produce a cumulative gospel effect. Over time, you have that guarantee, okay? People are being saved, and more and more voices are being added to the hallelujah course. That's what it means, okay? And, and that just, more and more people are going to give thanks that abounds to the glory of God. So make this, here's the application, okay? And with this, we're going to close. You want, to start, you want to have a life, a lasting ministry, a fulfilled life. Listen, every time you do your ministry, every time you respond in such a way that it's clear that everything you have is because of mercy, every time you deal with hidden sinful things in the right way, every time you proclaim the truth, and you see what I'm doing, I'm just drawing from what we've already studied, okay, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4. Every time you do your ministry, every time you respond in such a way that it's clear that everything you have is because of mercy. When people falsely accuse you, when they jump the gun and jump on you, whatever it is, and you respond and just say it's all mercy, it doesn't really matter, and you just let it go. Every time you deal with hidden sinful things in the right way, so you're, you're rejecting these sinful thoughts in your mind that are shameful and you don't want them to come out, and so you continually deal with them on a regular basis. Every time you proclaim the truth, every time you're broken you know, by the death trap the world is in you, so you're motivated to point to, to, to the only one who can deliver them. You know, you're broken by this death trap. The world is, is, uh, is, is veiled. They can't understand the truth of the gospel, and they've been blinded by the God of this world. Every time you're broken by that, and so you, you show them the one who can deliver them. Every time you make your life about service, every time you take your hands off the outcome, see, every time you... Acknowledge that anything good that has happened is God at work. Every time you go through the difficult times and you don't, you don't accuse God, but you live in such a way that you make Jesus clearly seen. Every time you do that, okay? Every time the fear of death is on you and you face it with a certainty of the resurrection and a sure hope for the future. When the, when the fear of death is on you, when you get that diagnosis, when, you, when you're right at the point where your life is probably going to be taken, you think you're not going to live another minute, whatever it is, and, and you know that, that you have a sure hope for the future and a resurrection is yours. Every time you speak what's true from the Word of God and you live it out with no thought of your own glory and there's no difference between what you say and you believe and what you're willing to proclaim, beloved, every... Every time you do that, you can know that it's all for someone else's sake. You have your hope, you're eternally secure, you have the promises of a wonderful long tomorrow, and so you do these things, and if this is your ministry, beloved, and you do this on a regular basis, every time, then you can be sure that it's going to have a lasting effect. There's a cumulative effect for the gospel over a life lived like this. That's Paul's point. A long-term cumulative effect every time. Do we do it every time perfectly like we'd like to? I don't, but you reset, don't you? And you go back and I didn't do that right and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna treat this like, I, it's mercy, I didn't deserve anything else but that, so I'm gonna deal with it that way, you know? And I'm, gonna, I'm broken by this death trap the world's in and so I just wanna point them to the one who can deliver them. Every time you respond that way, every time you do your ministry just faithfully owning it and just regularly giving out the ministry and doing the ministry you're supposed to do, see? And you are a ministry and, and aren't somebody else's ministry, right? Every time you do that, you have set up a long-term effect of the benefit of the gospel over the long haul. And you'll be able to look back over a long ministry or a short ministry, whatever it is, and look back and say, okay, this is the Lord at work. He's the one that did it. I'm just a frail vessel. So however it was poured out, it was all the Lord doing it. And whatever benefit it was, it was all God. And when you do that, over time, beloved, over time, the cumulative effect of the gospel is in your wake if we use uh, nautical illustrations we've done you lay those waypoints you begin to move through those waters and you follow those waypoints and in your wake is the cumulative effect of the gospel 
so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks abound for the glory of God. That can be your ministry. Next week, Lord willing, we will finish up our passage and go through verse 18. Close out Paul's thoughts in this area, and so it's our joy to do that. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer now, though. I'd like you to think about the things we talked about. May the Lord impress them on your heart. Lord, we thank you today for our time in the Word. We're grateful for how clear it is to us. Thank you for uh, the promises that you've given us, particularly this last one, as we do what we have to do and go through what we have to go through, and, and we do it the way you've intended for us to do it. It'll produce a cumulative effect of the gospel being propagated in the world. And that's really what we want. We want to live this way. I mean, we all would like to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, as, as we understand uh, the parables of, of, uh, of the gifts and talents that the, you've given us. But, you know, Lord, we, we have to understand clearly that that's not the same, that's not the universal everybody gets a gold medal. But that there are, are ways that we are to manage our life. It's the whole point of, of the Bema Seat Judgment, ways that we manage our life and what we build on the foundation of Christ, which will either lend itself to uh, passing through fire and coming out clean and purified and still there, or passing through fire and finding nothing left except the robe of righteousness you gave us. And Father, we've got to, be, we've got to know that the whole idea, the parable of the talents and, and the gifts are all are part of uh, your way to tell us it's, it's not, not everybody comes in at the top. We all are secure in our faith and we all have a robe of righteousness which will deliver us to you faultless and that the work you've started in us you'll, be, you'll finish. But we've got to know that you know, your commands are for us, not for you. And that we're to respond in this way and we desire for your word to be at work in us and for it to dwell in us richly with all wisdom. And so, Father, we cry out to you as, as uh, we saw Ling Su did uh, today as the pressing pressure was on him. It revealed all the impurities and how fortunate he was, uh, as he would say, how fortunate he was to realize where his thoughts truly were and to be able to change the course and the direction. And Lord, I, I know you've taken many of us through very hard times and I pray that the outcome of those things will have been that purging and the cleansing and that we'll establish these new thought patterns and behaviors and responses which are in line with what we see here. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your concern for us and your care and your love that you started something in us and you want to complete us. And you're going to make us a reprint of Christ and we want to be part of that and willingly submit to it and learn the lessons you have us to learn and be content in the place you have us at this point so that we might move forward in the place to the place you want us. Knocked down but not destroyed, not useless, maybe just humbled. Whatever it is, Father, you know. You know the hearts of each individual in my own heart, Lord, and so you can make that application as you see fit. And we give you, we welcome your, your application. In our own hearts, we can say that together. And so, Father, we thank you today for our time together. We thank you for the fellowship that's going to follow, for the time in the Word. We thank you for the quick business meeting where we welcome in uh, new members. We're so grateful for that. And so, Father, I pray that we'll continue to do these things in order as you've had us to do them. Guide us each day to be the types of people and the church that you'd have us to be, that we might be found pleasing in your sight. A church that's not departed from its first love. A church that is still very committed to doing the things you'd have us to do in the way you'd have us to do them. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.